So I want to take skippily welcome again to another episode of Latin and Layman's. Today is Sunday, February 19th, 2023. Hope you all are ringing in this good new year as we are a month and a half into it at this point. Today, I'm going to try and make Sundays a Q&A day because I've compiled quite a few really awesome uh, questions. Um, and I love, like like I've said before in the past, my audience kind of gives me a gamut of questions that I can kind of go over, things that are rather controversial. Um, I don't mean to be controversial or, you know, I'm sharing my own opinions. You can like it. You cannot like it. It's all good in the hood. That's where we as a society need to come back to is that we need to respect each other's opinions and what we have to say and the knowledge and, um, you know, anecdotal evidence or anecdata, as I like to say sometimes, um, regarding those questions and realize that we're all individuals and that we all have our own opinions and that we are not mentally nationalized um, to think the same thing that everybody else thinks. All right. So with that being said, though, um, yeah, you know, great questions, uh, um, riffing off just a, a bunch of things that I consider important, um, and, or just interesting questions, um, regarding language, regarding health, both mental and physical, um, diet related, oddly enough, I'm not going to get too deep into that kind of stuff, but because one thing that I've known is that talk about religiosity in not religion, AKA diet. Everybody seems to think that their way is like the end-all be-all right way. And now in a day and age where everybody is either carnivore or vegan or whatever, and it's the, the end-all be-all or keto is the right way or low fat or no carb or which is keto um, or an aspect of keto at least. But um, regardless of, um, let's get into some of these questions because I find it very, very interesting uh, to answer these kinds of things because I've never really had people and ask me questions like this. So, um, yeah, if you are interested and you haven't already yet, pop it on over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts to leave your boys some ratings and reviews. I appreciate it. You guys know me. I love the love. I love you guys for loving me and showing me some love. So let's get on into it. The first question here from Ark Slayer is traditional gender role division still applicable in modern society? Well, um, yes and no, I guess. You know, um, a lot of these questions I'll say it, it's both a, and it, it depends really. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, it is 2023 and we're starting to understand that, uh, well, gender, right? Gender it, itself comes from the Latin gens gentis, which refers to class type. Um, it can refer, refer to a race as well. Um, this is where we get the term genocide as well. But gender is just the class in which you kind of associate yourself with. So, you know, gender is not biological. It is social, right? That's why we're this person that asked this question. Um, is it still applicable in modern society? Yes, gender oral division is, but we also have this kind of this bifurcation where now we have another um, non-binary. And, you know, th that kind of goes into um, a whole different, um, you know, spectrum because then non-binary becomes um, 
you know, and I'm not going to speak to this entirely because I actually don't have a lot of knowledge in regards to this. I, I do. Um, I have friends that are trans and, um, and at the end of the day, it's, it's about self-expression of that person. And at the end of the day, I'm never going to tell anybody that how they feel is wrong. Yeah, that's just, that's not for me to say, and it's not for you to say either. It's for nobody to say. Um, I can't empathize. I can, because at the end of the day, I, I, I don't feel, you know, like I can't imagine what it would feel like to, to feel not like you belong in your own body. That would feel very uncomfortable, wouldn't it? If you just were to like, think about that, um, you know, just, yeah, consider the thought of not feeling comfortable in your own body, considering the skin that you have is not the skin that's right for you. Now, there can be a culmination of different factors, you know, and at the end of the day, when I do bring in mental illness into the equation, that brings in a huge uproar. But at the end of the day, I've talked to people that have worked in clinical, I, I, I talked to a, a doctor, double board certified internal medicine, um, addiction specialist, he had been in the clinician or, or the clinic uh, for addiction and um, uh, um, uh, psychological disorders for 20 years. And he had said back in the 70s and 80s that um, the people that presented with these kinds of uh, gender dysphoria was, you know, a, it, it was kind of, um, you know, what they refer to as a disorder. A disorder is something that we don't really understand, but it's a culmination of a bunch of different uh, specified things that create that disorder. Um, so that's kind of how that kind of came about. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, there are people that, yes, you know, maybe could seek some sort of, um, you know, uh, uh, psychological help in order to to work through what they may be needing to work through. And sometimes we seek out means in order to fix how we're feeling in this current state of mind. But I know I'm being very vague about this, but at the end of the day, it's about, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to move on. <laughs> I'm going to move on. But, um, but yeah, I think that we need to, we need to understand that everybody has their own, um, the reality that they deal with and that to tell them that whatever they're dealing with is not right or that it's not true or whatever is really not your place. And you really need to check yourself if you're doing that, because at the end of the day, wh why do you care? Right? Why do you care? It's, n it, it has nothing to do with you. The, these people that, you know, I'm sorry to say these people, non the non-binary community, you know, is not asking for you to accept them. And if they are, um, which is their end goal for sure, um, you know, they, they don't want that kind of negative energy anyway. So, you know, at the end of the day, let us be human. And then we'll work through it. And whether it was the right thing or the wrong thing, we'll learn either the hard way or the not so hard way. And that's, excuse me, just the nature of it. Next one here. This is from XCXC. Is language a form of cultural appropriation? Um, no. I, I, I appreciate this question, but no. Language is culture. If you think about it, 
That's why we travel around the world. That's how language has assimilated into different languages, right? That's when the fall of the Roman Empire happened. Well, you had Latin that was scattered all across the Mediterranean, all the way from Portugal, as far east as Israel and Judea. And you also had Egypt and Northern Africa, all that kind of stuff, speaking Latin. But then with the fall of the Roman Empire, you had all these barbaric tribes and all these other, you know, um, uh, peripheral tribes kind of making their way back into the uh, that that empire <clears throat> to reclaim. And what, what did they have to do? Well, they had to assimilate with the, the language of Latin plus the barbaric language that they were speaking at the time. So then what happened was they were like, no, 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 no we're not going to be doing this. And then the assimilation of those two languages made the presence, right? That's why I talk about how English is just basically a modge podge of all these different languages shoved into a trench coat that just shows how language and English especially is just kind of like this assimilated form of so many other languages, right? If you think about it, you know, you know, maybe you're a young buck back in antiquity, you move into maybe Spain, for instance, and you're a part of this barbaric tribe, and you're trying to speak to some senorita, and you can't really understand. Um, and, you know, how do you how do you bridge the gap? How do you say, you know what, hey, I have some interest in you, you want to come, you want to go grab some coffee? You know, how do you do that without language? So then you start to assimilate and then you start to maybe use gestures. Maybe you start to um, uh, pivot off of one another and have like a back and forth like, oh, this is the, this means this, this means this. And then you have the assimilation of the languages that kind of change little by little, right? Because Portuguese is a little bit different than Spanish, which is different than French, which is different than Romanian, which is different than German, Germanic or German, which is different from Italian. So then you get all these different assimilated forms of Latin, right? Latin is the root of all the romantic languages. So no, it's not cultural, uh, cultural appropriation. And if anybody thinks it's cultural appropriation, they don't understand history. Sorry, not sorry. Next question from an unknown is language a form of power? Um, in a way, absolutely. I think it can yield power. I think that honestly it can show your command and your confidence in how you, um, how you carry yourself and how others perceive you. But at the end of the day, I don't think it is power. I think it helps you understand how it can manipulate and show or give you a semblance of authority, not power. I don't like that word power. Because at the end of the day, when you can, language is a beautiful thing where you can either have a, an audience of highfalutin speakers in which you can engage in discourse with them, or you're maybe with your homie G's and you just wanted to shoot the crap and skibidabibidabop, and that's how language is. And being able to adapt from different faces of said language is important for you because that's how you're able to convey yourself in a professional setting versus an unprofessional setting or, you know, run the gamut. Think about it. Language is important. Does language influence our perception of reality? This comes from MA. Um, absolutely it does. In fact, language is what limits whatever is unlimited. 
Um, it makes me think of Ludwig van Wittgenstein. I forget the name. But, um, you know, he's always talking about how language basically, once you put a, prescribe a word, a language, or, you know, something in order to to limit it, it takes that metaphysical to the physical, right? If we didn't have a word for God, then how would we refer to God? We would we we wouldn't. We need that word, right? That's what language does to us. It takes that metaphysical, it takes all the things that just are ideological in a sense and gives them a semblance of physicality. Um, in our modern world, if that makes any sense, right? If I don't have a word for table, then how do I, what do I use to refer to said table? Um, a flat plateau thing with four columns that hold it suspended above the actual ground. But what if we didn't have a word for ground? See how there is so much that language helps us limit so that we can actually, you know, express what's on our mind, right? Think about a baby, for instance. I'm I'm speculating here, but a baby cries because they lack the words to actually say the things that are on their mind, aka I just poop my pants or whatever, right? So with that being said, um, language limits. And at the end of the day, too, how many times are you frustrated when you don't, don't have a word in order to describe something? It is frustrating. You're like, oh, what's that word? Or there's got to be a word for it or blah, blah, this and that. And then you finally find the word or maybe you forget that word. And, and then that word comes to you at a cold sweat, three o'clock in the morning the next day. I don't know. But language is important and it influences our perception of reality um, on the day to day, right? You know, things like in in Spanish, we have Sombra Mesa. We don't have that, I that, that, whatever that is in English, right? Sombra Mesa refers to the conversation that continues after the food has already been consumed at dinner time. Or something like Deja Vu, for instance, or C'est La Vie. You know, these things that are only kind of associated and prescribed a meaning within the language itself. Next one that we have here. This one comes from uh, the JH. Does the human body have an optimal posture or are there different postures beneficial for different people? Mm, very interesting question. Well, I think that we're all going to have probably a kyphotic posture in the next 20 years, if not sooner. Um, it's probably just going to be a heritable, adaptable trait that humans are going to take on because all we do is sit in front of computers now and we're kind of hunched forward. That might be a beneficial and uh, adaptive posture that we'll fall into later on. I don't know. I'm always about moving better, though. Moving better is important because moving better is what's going to carry you through this life. And at the end of the day, one of the biggest lifestyle risks uh, towards the end of your age or end of your life uh, is falling, falling, breaking a bone, and then you know sometimes that individual goes septic after that bone has been broken. Um, yeah, it can be bad. Also, you have to be uh, uh, aware of the posture that you carry yourself on through a day to day basis, right? You could be standing, yes, but what if you're what if you're leaning on one hip? You got one hip hiked up, and the other one uh, is kind of relaxed, and you stick in that position for a long time. Then you're kind of shortening a muscle. 
Um, I'm not going to get into it too in-depthly, but you had things, you had deeper core muscles um, within that, uh, you know, can get disengaged. Um, you know, you have your quadratus lumborum, which is really important for that side bending. Uh, and think about whenever you carry a suitcase on one side, in order to keep your torso torso upright, that's your quadratus lumborum. Um igniting and engaging itself quite a bit but just a general in general rather uh, it's important to be very pragmatic and deliberate about the posture that you carry through your day right you don't want to have a tucked tailbone um, you don't want to you don't want to walk with an anterior pelvic tilt ra- either which is when you're sticking your butt out way too far um, anteriorly your pelvis actually rotates underneath and then you're your butt kind of gets hiked up. That's bad because then that shortens your lumbar uh, spine, L1 through 5, and uh, you don't really want to also hyperextend it when it's already in extension itself. Um, if you look at the curvature of the spine from um, the lateral aspect, you can see how the lumbar kind of has this this extension, this curve, and then um, the, the thoracic, um, sorry, the thoracic kind of curves back a little bit. And then again, once the cervical hits, um, then it kind of has that extension back up um, that allows you to look up. That's extension of the cervical and then flexion of the cervical is when you look down. Okay. So I can get into all the physiological terms uh, big time. So I don't want to get too deep into that, but it's all about being deliberate about the posture that you use on a day-to-day basis. Um, is it possible to maintain a balanced diet while eating only fast food? This comes from ICR. Well, um, I'm going to say no, but I'm also going to say yes, because most people do do this, but at the end of the day, you can get all of your vital macronutrients, your proteins, your fats, your carbs from eating fast food alone, but really, are you getting the beneficial micronutrients? Are you getting the essential minerals that you need in your body? Are you getting good quality ingredients? I don't know. Does the fast food make you feel good? That's what I'm always asking myself now is how does this food make me feel rather than how does it, you know, how does it taste? Sometimes for sure, absolutely how it tastes, but you know, ever since I've been sick or gotten sick and now dealing with GI issues and stuff like that, I always have to weigh the, the, the benefits and the risks, the costs and benefit analysis of eating foods that could potentially really mess me up or on the vice versa are totally innocuous to my gut. Um, but that's something that you have to, you know, be aware of for yourself. And a lot of people don't really want to be aware of this or they, uh, it, there's, uh, an aspect of, um, cognitive dissonance, I would say where they just, they're just not knowing or they don't want to know or that feeling bad has been the systemic 24, seven, 365 day feeling that you've had already so often that you don't really know what it's like to not feel the way that you already feel. So why change it? Even though if you were to change it, maybe you would feel 10 times, if not a hundred times better. I don't know. But at the end of the day, if you're only eating fast food, you're probably also dipping pretty heavily into your wallet. So I would say if you want to save some money, 
um, don't eat out so often. Cook your food, man. Good God. Inflation's killing us right now. I want some good quality butter. And all I got to do, and, uh, and I go to the grocery store, and when I see some good organic grass-fed butter, just a pound, and it's nine bucks a pound, I'm like, good God. <sighs> An arm and a leg. So, you know, think about it. Uh, you could probably still, even even with me saying that, you could still save some money doing your own grocery shopping. That being said, you know, it's up to you. Last question that I want to get into, which I thought was actually interesting, is is it possible to eat too much of a healthy food? Um, yeah, I totally believe this because actually um, you can create certain intolerance, intolerances with food if you kind of eat it on a uh, on the reg. Um, and I know this sounds kind of odd, but I mean, tell me, uh, like if, if y'all haven't heard about the concept of leaky gut way back when we were talking about it, leaky gut was basically talking about now, well, now the medical doctors deem it to be an actual thing. So we don't want to call it leaky gut. Leaky gut sounds kind of stupid. So we got a, a slap on a big old medical term, AKA small intestinal hyperpermeability, SIBO. Um, bacterial overgrowth, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth coincides um, because what happens is um, this is how you create food intolerances is that when you eat a food, your, your body's a bit inflamed and when it goes through your duodenum and then into your, or your duodenum, uh, whoever pronounces it A plus B or I mean potato, potato, whatever. But it gets into your small intestine, and what happens in the small intestine sometimes is that the um, the, the the cell wall, the membrane of the intestine, uh, becomes permeable. That smooth musculature allows the junctions within actually to kind of separate. And then what happens is is that f those food those food particles then permeate through the separation of the um, the intestinal wall. And then it gets into your bloodstream. So then when you have food particles in the bloodstream, basically, or those nutrients or whatever, um, that could be inflammatory and essentially, then your body is like, oh, this is not good. That's when autoimmunity, autoimmunity occurs. You get all those white blood cells going towards whatever's the invader. And then whatever you just ate, now your body is recognizing as a foreign invader, even though you've been eating it for so long. Um, that's, um, you know, sometimes we can develop food intolerances when we eat a certain food during a certain stressful bout of time. Maybe you're sick, maybe you've allowed, or maybe you, um, you know, you have a virus, maybe you have an infection, you know, and that allows other foreign invaders to kind of come in and take over. So if you didn't know, now you know, because that has happened to me quite a bit. Because what happens with me is that I find something that works for me GI-wise, and I do it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. But then what I've realized is that after a while, my body stops reacting the way that it had in the past and is not assimilating the food as correctly as I need it to. Um, I, I, I'm so keen about this at this point in my life. Um, I know which foods I malabsorb versus foods that I can absorb a lot more. I honestly can tell the transit time between uh, foods that I eat and when it actually is evacuated from my body at this point. I mean, if you think about it, the whole concept of eating and defecating said what has been eaten um, is just a tube. 
Think about it. You From your mouth to your anus, that is the tube. Anything within that tube is all sterile, okay? It's not supposed to get into the bloodstream. But if you have SIBO, then that th those things can actually get into the bloodstream. But for the most part, what's supposed to happen? Think about it. Think about the channel, for instance. The the train, the underwater train that from the Strait of Gibral Gibraltar takes you from the UK to France, right? That tube essentially is in the water, but you are in the tube, right? So think about it. Think about the food that you consume is like the train going through the channel, right? And that everything around the channel is water and everything around the tube of your GI tract is internal organs, blood tissue, liquid, fluid, water, um, visceral organs. Okay. So think about it, you know, and I'll, t I'll say the process mouth, esophagus, as meaning within phagus referring to consumption of the within consumption going all the way down, passes the sphincter into the upper stomach, gets a little digested, adjusted there with all them gastric juices, the hydrochloric acid being the predominant one to break down those proteins. Then it gets shuttled into the duodenum and then into the small, or small intestine. There it does the assimilation of the nutrients. And if there is SIBO that's present, then some of those nutrients start to leak into the bloodstream. And that's when the inflammatory response happens. And then further on, it moves on into the large intestine. And then you've got the ascending, the transverse, the descending colon all the way until it gets funneled out through the anus sphincter. Okay. So if you didn't know, now you know, that's the process. Okay. Those all happen separately from your liver, from your pancreas, from your heart, all those things are happening uh, uh, alongside. Your food is never meant to be in the bloodstream. Okay. So that's why we're, we're seeing so many more of these um, issues. Gosh, I can, to I can go off on this kind of stuff. So uh, I won't go into any more depth and detail about it. But if you're curious about this kind of stuff, I have so much interesting information because I've learned so much about my body through so much research, experimentation, um, and, you know, I just want to feel good. It's not about living long for me. It's about living well day by day. I don't care about all these stupid people that want to live to like 120. It was like one dude that I used to follow a lot, Dr. Mark Hyman, who introduced functional medicine to me. Um, now is really annoying me because he's all about trying to extend his life. And it just seems so um, vain. So Mark Hyman, stop. Okay. You sound like you're trying to you hold on to your youth. Um, and it's, it's kind of sad sounding in my opinion. So I used to respect you a lot more, but now when I listen to you interview people, all you do is you interrupt people. All you want to do is learn how you, you extend your life. It's like, it's so futile, man. Live well while you live and don't worry about all the rest. Okay. Alrighty. That's a, that's a jab to Dr. Mark Hyman. The first person that actually introduced to me what leaky gut was way back when I was sick and I was depressed. I didn't understand what was going on with my body. 
um, and all this stuff. And then he kind of led me into functional medicine. He taught me about Lyme disease. He taught me about all these things that then I started to learn more. But it really ticked me off that now he's just all about trying to extend his life past. And it, it, it I don't know, it just sounds... I'm not going to go off on it because maybe other people are disagreeing with me and that's okay. But at the end of the day, I hope you guys learned something new or if anything, you learned a little bit more about me. And if you guys have any more questions, go ahead and email me at liamconnerly at gmail.com. I always enjoy these. Um, and I can just keep on riffing off, especially with diet, physiology, language. I love that. Is somebody asking about cultural appropriation? Is language a form of that? I love that question because it's not, but I can see how people think that it is. And at the end of the day, nothing that I say is actually true. You know, we're all going to realize the thing, things that we know now are barely scratching the surface of the things that we'll learn 20 years from now, 30, 40, 50. And at the end of the day, life is humbling in that respect. But you got to hum humble yourself to that, that conversation that we have to have with each other through this life. Thank you guys again. If you haven't already, support me over at Spotify, Latin and Layman's, The Rhetoric Revolution, or Apple Podcasts. You guys rock. I appreciate you. I miss my Vanguard students. I miss my Rocky Mountain kids. I hope y'all are doing well. And if you made it to this point, thank you again. And thank you for your inquisitive nature and knowledge and wanting to know more and grow and live this life well.